Welcome back to another episode of Disciplology, a podcast where we discuss what really works in discipleship. Michael, today we have a special, special guest. Noe Garcia joins us from Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, it is almost winter here for us right now, but I can only imagine that in Phoenix it is still 117 degrees. Uh, Noe, thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, tell us a little bit about your church and how you got to Phoenix. Absolutely. Um, so our church is uh, located really central Phoenix. Um, great location, about 10 minutes away from downtown. Um, it's a, honestly, I, I, I love the church. I've really fallen in love with the church. Gosh, we probably have 80 something different cultures represented, represented from different backgrounds, walks of life. Um, it's really, the church has really come to look a lot like the city, which was a huge desire of mine when I arrived. Um, and it was interesting how, how I got here. I was at Cross Church in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I was doing college ministry. And we had seen some really neat things happen in college ministry to the point where I thought I'm going to be a lifelong college pastor. I thought this was my calling. Um, I love doing it. It doesn't feel like I'm working. This is just my wheelhouse. Uh, great church, great leadership. Um, and then there was a season where I, I knew God was going to do something because for about a month straight, there were just random phone calls from different churches about becoming a senior pastor. And, you know, at this point, I was about 30, 31 years old. Um, I had no senior pastor experience. I was intimidated by it. Very long story short, God made it very, very clear uh, that North Phoenix Baptist Church was a place he was calling us to. Um, so my wife and I surrendered to the call. We came with tears, uh, not because we were kicking and screaming, more because we were probably just so afraid of the unknown what this side was going to look like. And we were leaving friends that we loved, students that we loved, and really just a life that we really loved. So we've been here for three and a half years now. It's, it's, I'm sure it's so different culturally, obviously from Arkansas, but also like in terms of the ministry scope. I, so as a, as a college pastor, way back in the day, years and years ago, I was a college pastor uh, in, a, in a small town in West Texas and one of the cool things about doing college ministry from the standpoint of discipleship was, you know, you, you've got these these young men and young women, and suddenly they're coming to church, and you know primarily if they're in church at that point in their lives, it's because they maybe for the first time are actively making the choice on their own to, to do it. So there's this there's this hunger inside of them that they, they know they want to grow in their faith. Uh, and I always found also just a real hunger inside of them to walk deeply with other people in relationship and to really examine and think hard and be challenged by uh, the truth of God's word. It was always so rewarding. So I'm just I'm wondering from your perspective, was there anything about, you know, trying to disciple college students there in Arkansas that was transferable to the pastoral ministry? So, like, how is it how is it similar uh, working with uh, primarily adults that are a bit older in pastoral ministry than, than what you experienced in college ministry? That's a great question. You know, one thing I would do as a college pastor, I probably met with like 25 to 30 different young men a week. Um, I consistently was just pouring into these lives, walking with them, discipling them, trying to multiply their leadership and their walk. 
Um, and you're right. There was a hunger there. They wasn't having to like pull teeth or have to light a fire underneath them. They were just so hungry to do the things of God. They really were just a bunch of world changers ready to be just unleashed. Mm-hmm. We need to be guided. Mm-hmm. And so that one-on-one dig deep, honest conversations about sin in their life and how to conquer it and going down to the root of the sin and not just putting up boundaries, but trying to figure out why is, does this keep coming up and just honest, honest things about their childhood, about the current struggles. Um, it was, it was healthy. It was very, very healthy to dig deep and kind of expose the ugliness in life. Uh, it was healthy to dig deeper and see who God was in their life versus who he's always been told that he was. Yeah. Um, now, how, how it transfers, honestly, uh, it's interesting because when I, when I arrived here at North Phoenix Baptist Church, I, I really believed, and maybe it should be, but it, it's not for me. I thought my 25, 30 meetings were going to be all church members. Huh. Well, it's, it's not. Huh. Um, huh. It's probably half and half. Uh, half of my time is with my own staff. Hmm. And the other half is with church members. Here's what I've realized. Um, part of my mission uh, here is to fulfill the Great Commission. Now, how we do that is, I believe, pouring into our staff and developing them to be able to fulfill the Great Commission. Before, I think I always saw the staff uh, as really as the tool I would use to fulfill our objective of the Great Commission. Hmm. Now I see them as the objective. Uh, and so my whole mentality has changed. Uh, a lot of times uh, we can assume that ministers don't need to be discipled. Hmm. And I was amazed how when I began to pour into our staff and develop them, I, our church started to grow and become healthier because I believe the congregation is a reflection of its leadership. So I knew if we can firmly disciple our, our staff and our leadership, and have them to do the exact same thing throughout the church, and we could be a healthy church. Uh, and so now a lot of my time is pouring into our young staff. And so um, how it transferred over, it's interesting. I hired a lot of my college students yeah. to come work for me. And, and so, um, you know, I'm still pouring into them. We're still having wow. leadership meetings. We're still having sermon creative team meetings to teach them how to break down the word of God. Uh, we're doing all kinds of things like that, but it didn't stop there. There's a, there's a doing part of discipleship as well. So we challenge and encourage them to do the same thing. So we have many of our guys and girls who are discipling people in groups, just like I do them. And now they're challenging their groups to go out and form groups of discipleship as well. So it's multiplying right before our eyes, which is really neat. That is very cool. I, it's honestly that is not what I don't know what I expected you to say, but it, it wasn't that, uh, which which is really really neat. I mean, do you feel like uh, you know we all have regular conversations with, with pastors about different things? Do you feel like that that's a unique perspective? Like if we were to to uh, you know poll, yes, I do. Yes, do you? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, I think that's a unique. lot of pastors don't spend that much intentional time with their staff members. I, I think so. I think Noah's doing a great job. <laughs> yeah, please, well, I, please I, be more like Noah. Yes. I think you were reading too much into the into the into the into the question. Okay, so if that's true that that's not happening, why do we like? Why do we? What are some of the obstacles to that? Why why wouldn't more pastors see that as uh as a primary means of discipleship for them? 
in my in my opinion, I think that the pastor got to be the pastor because they are good at that. And so why would they stop doing that now that they have a new title? Um, what Noe yeah. is doing is multiplying other multipliers. That is so much better. Interesting. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I really do. I've been part of some great churches, um, very fast paced, very busy, busy churches and all doing great things. Um, like I said, I don't know if I'm right or wrong for doing this, but I just think sometimes uh, we forget that ministers are still needing to be developed themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes, um, you know, healthy ministers really do produce a healthy church and healthy congregants. Yeah. Uh, when you have ministers that are poured out, uh, burned out, and they're tired and have nothing else to give, and who's, who's pouring into them? Who's developing them? Who's checking their pulse? Who's checking their marriage? Uh, who's allowing them? I mean, I create safe space for my ministers to confess. I always tell them, like, listen, I don't want sin in the camp. So the worst thing you can do is to try to hide and cover up sin because you're too afraid because you think as a minister, it's, you're not supposed to have sin. And when you have sin, whether it's pride or, or you know, whatever it is, we can go on with a list of things. Um, I don't want you to believe the lie of the enemy and think you are above repenting and confessing because through that is health and freedom. Yeah. So when we think about discipleship, and especially in the aspect of leadership, this isn't just leadership development. Uh, this is spiritual development, yeah. which I think produces a much better leader, in my opinion. Hmm. And so I'm focusing more on the core of who they are with Christ, um, because the sanctification portion is incredibly important for them to be developed to who God wants them to be. Um, and so, you know, we do focus on leadership, but I also focus on a lot of spiritual development for their lives as well. Is is there something... Uh, like, is there a regular list of of topics? How how would you uh, how do you structure those those meetings that you you have that are so pivotal to the work of the of discipleship that are ha- that's happening at North Phoenix? How do you structure the the meetings with your staff? So that's that's a great question. So we have several uh, types of meetings that I I would say are more discipleship focused when it comes specifically to our staff. So. We have a bunch of meetings that we have to have, but let me just share with you the discipleship focused yeah, ones yeah, that yeah. I've kind of put in place. Uh, one is we have chapel every single Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So in our staff mm-hmm. chapel, um, I'm giving leadership principles. I'm giving spiritual principles. I am. We're going through the book of, of Joshua, so I'll take them through that, and we'll look at mm-hmm. we'll look at biblical principles. We'll look at leadership. We we'll look at all kinds of stuff. Um, I often lead us to a time of confession through this. Um, but that's really for time for me to pour into my staff on a weekly basis. Um, so we're learning all kinds of biblical uh, principles and um, just discipleship principles as well. Uh, another thing uh, for a form of discipleship, the first Tuesday of every single month, uh, we have a leadership, our executive team meets every single Tuesday morning from 830 to about one. So the first Tuesday of every month, I'll get five or six leaders in our organization. Uh, usually younger leaders, and I let them sit around the table with us so that whenever we lead through decisions of the church, when we lead through um, hard situations, um, I want them to be able to see how I, as a pastor, make decisions, how I have to balance out truth and grace. Um, so all this is a picture of discipleship that helps them to know how to lead in a healthier manner. Now, I want to be careful because I don't want to act like I am a perfect leader. So what I tell them 
is I want you to become a better leader of the church by looking at my strengths and my flaws. So I'm giving you free reign uh, to look into my strengths and flaws from a smaller core group. And I want you to learn from that. I want, the, I want this to be a picture of discipleship so you can take the good and go apply it, but also learn from the bad and don't apply it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it'll make your ministry better. It'll make you better as a leader. So please sit here, learn and listen, and then ask questions. Ask me why we made this kind of decision. Yeah. And so we do that. Uh, then Wednesdays at 1.30, we have a sermon creative team. I put down the passage um, on, our, on our wall. We break down the verses. I want to teach them how to be true to the word of God, especially in a culture that seems to uh, want to be sometimes so culturally relevant that we become biblically irrelevant. Mm. So I want to teach them how you can be culturally relevant by staying still biblically relevant and the importance of the truth of breaking down scripture. Uh, and so we, we do all those things. So that's another discipleship picture of them coming in and seeing how I do this. Um, you know, whether it's hospital visits, there's now more of a personal thing too. When I travel, I'll take a different pastor with me. Yeah. Obviously, always a male, always a male pastor, obviously. Uh, but I, I want them just to come with me. We spend great one-on-one time while I'm traveling. I get to dig deeper a little bit into their life, into their leadership. So, I mean, that's another way of discipleship. We have something called the first Friday. Uh, the first Friday of every single month, I have all staff and spouses come to our house. My wife and I host them. Um, we just, we love on them. Uh, we try to lead by example. We have the new, newly married from our church staff come to our house about two hours before everybody else does. And we treat it as our small group. So oh. we pour into the new married um, on our staff. We yeah. love on them. We let them sit there sit there and ask us questions about our marriage, about how we parent, about everything. So um, there's a lot of discipleship that goes on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just have to be wise with my time yeah, yeah. and uh, knowing how to do that. It sounds like you're doing a, a, a very intentional culture building in your, in your church. Noe, I've, I've yeah, led enough absolutely. people... I've let enough people to know that this is all not fun and games. Can you tell us a story of uh, how you handle conflict with a specific individual? Yeah, um, I think I think sometimes it um, obviously each individual is different, right? So whether it's on staff, whether it's not on staff, um, I'm big on conflict conflict resolution. Absolutely. Uh, and, and here's why. Here's what I've seen in our culture. Um, I don't ever want to. I don't want us to assume something about one another. I want us to build a culture to where we know if there is something in me that I have against my brother or sister, uh, that we can go to them freely and say, Hey, this is in my heart. This is stirring. Uh, this doesn't feel good. And I got to have to confess it or get it out. Or, Hey, this is what you have done. And I didn't recognize this, but this has been really stirring up and bothering me. And here, here is why I really teach conflict resolution, why it's so important. I've seen this happen in a lot of churches. And actually, I did this as well. I use myself as an example. When I was fresh out of seminary, I thought I knew more than my senior pastor. <laughs> and I thought I knew more than a lot of people. I thought I was a better preacher. I thought I was a, and the list goes on. I remember the senior pastor would make decisions and it would frustrate me. And I was too much of a coward to go to him and share what was on my heart. So I'd smile in front of his face, but I would go home and I would have pillow talk with my wife who would really think about the pastor in a negative way. 
What that did was created a wedge between the pastor and my wife because she took on my perspective, which wasn't a good one. So when she would come to worship on Sunday morning, guess what? She couldn't hear the word. She couldn't really worship. She couldn't do any of that because I tainted her so badly that all she can think about is the negative he was doing. Mm-hmm. Now, here's what happened. I'd go to him. I'd confess. We'd make up. We'd be friends. But she never got that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so I really destroyed her worship. So what I did, really, I allowed the enemy to plant a seed in me that I watered over a period of time that produced fruit of destruction. So what I tell our staff all the time do not water the seed that has been planted, whether it's your own thoughts and insecurity or that it's something somebody else really did to you. You have to um, be okay with conflict resolution and make it a normal part of your life. Now, don't go looking for trouble, but <laughs> take Matthew 18 very seriously, whether it's um, uh, church discipline or whether it's something you have an issue, whether it's jealousy, whatever it is, you have to go straight to the person and dissolve it right there. And don't create a fan base on your side that causes more division. So that's always been a fair mind for our staff. And I really do think we have an unbelievably healthy, healthy staff uh, to where people have come to me and said, hey, you, you made a joke during a staff meeting that really hurt my feelings. And I'm such a goofball, a jokester. And I'm thinking, man, I meant nothing by it. I'm so sorry. And so, but at least it allowed me to know how this person is wired and where I need to really rein it in. But we have really have an open door policy with one another because I think it's built a very healthy um, staff. And what I love about that is y'all are probably closer now that you've had that conflict resolution. So when I've, I've gone to people Absolutely. that have hurt me in the past and I said, man, it really hurt when you did this, then we are suddenly tighter. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have a crazy, crazy um, tight team. And I think it's because it's the intentionality of conflict resolution. It's the intentionality of discipleship and it's the intentionality of um, creating moments, even for spouses, right? Uh, Because what this is allowed even for my spouse to do is to be around all the staff. And so when I come home and I have the temptation to want to quote unquote vent, she really does correct my train of thought. And uh, she no longer really plays into my stuff. She now protects our staff from my wrongful thinking at times. Um, and so it's, I think it's made for a much healthier place. What, what is a second VP of the Southern Baptist convention do? <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, man, I'm still asking the same question. That's awesome. Um, listen, I, I really do. You know, when, when Michael Freeze, uh, he's a buddy of mine, been a huge encourager to me. Um, but he called me up, Hey, are, are you okay if I nominate you? And I said, man, I'm, I'm, honor that you would even think to do so, but what does that even mean? And um, I'm not necessarily sure he gave me a very clear answer, and I'm still asking that question, but here's the role I'm taking on. Uh, really, man, just supporting and praying for JD and um, doing whatever really he needs. I'm, I'm just going to be um, a runner, you know what I mean? If, if he <laughs> needs me to do something, I'm, I'm going to support him. I'm going to do it. Um, he has a lot on his shoulders. Uh, this is a this is a big task for him, and so I think just simply him knowing, hey, we're here. So you know that may mean, hey, can you guys write an article on this? And so I wrote an article on baptism. Um, he, he he asked us to uh, go down to Mexico and meet with some Mexican officials. 
um, things like that. And so I think you're just whatever helps push his vision forward, um, the gospel above all. I'm just going to say, absolutely, man, however I can support and encourage. So I guess I'm a cupbearer to some extent. So it's not, as Andrew suspected, it's not like a line of succession. <laughs> that <laughs> We get rid of JD. <laughs> hey, listen, the Southern, the Southern Baptist Convention better hope it's not. <laughs> That's great. Because we're all in trouble, brother. Listen, man, thank you so no, much. I, Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, I was going to say, no, no, I, I do not believe that's it at all. That's not even my frame of, of thinking, to be honest with you. It's yeah. just an honor to be in this seat and just for the year and support and courage, man. Buddy, thank you for talking with us about this. It's really encouraging to listen to how intentional you are with the people that the Lord has put that's around right. you. Uh, and I think a good reminder to us, too, that this. You know, we say this all the time on our podcast. We talk together. We, we we sit here and we talk about discipleship, and and it's actually not that complicated. At the end of the day, you can wrap all kinds of systems around it, but at the core level, it's not that complicated. You are relating to people, and you're helping people follow Jesus. That's, that's right. what we're that's what we're trying to do. So, thank you for for uh, talking to us about how you do that. We appreciate it a lot. Noe, Thanks for having me, man. Noe, where can people find out a little bit more about you and about your church? Um, NPHX.org. I'm not on social media. It stole too much family time for me. I was addicted. And so um, NPHX.org, that's where we're at. You know, one thing I do love about about the website is they've got a schedule your next visit pop-up window. Yes, and so like it, cool. it, it makes me think like, oh yeah, I need to sign up. I'm going to be in Phoenix next. So I mm-hmm. love it. Come on, man. Come on. Michael, we have an email address. So now you can email discipleology at lifeway.com and it'll come straight to both of our inboxes. So if y'all have questions that we need to answer or need to address, discipleology at lifeway.com will come straight to us. Noe, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Always good to hear your voice. Michael, always a pleasure. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for having me.